science and technology with Mark Zastro, science journalist. Good morning to you. Good morning, Alex. And, um, well, we've had a bit of an air pollution theme today. It's still very dirty outside. I was just saying to you as you came in that we need to watch closely for any stories of giant vacuum devices that can clean up our air immediately. Yeah, we should all be out on, on the lookout for something like that. <laughs> well, that's my existed. code for please somebody make one. Um, mm-hmm. Now, Mark, we're going to start, though, uh, with a self-driving car program. If we can get more electric vehicles out on the road, self-driving or otherwise, that might help. But uh, Uber has been testing self-driving cars over the past few months. This past weekend, it suspended those tests for three days after one of them got into a high-impact accident in Arizona. That's right. So on Friday afternoon in the U.S., uh, pictures surfaced on Twitter of an Uber self-driving Volvo SUV that had flipped onto its side. It had apparently collided with a minivan, and you could see in the picture that the the minivan had uh, shattered windows and a crumpled quarter panel. Now, according to the police in the city of Tempe, the Uber car was not at fault in the accident. It was the minivan uh, with a human driver who had failed to yield to the self-driving car at an intersection. And thankfully, there were no injuries. Uh, In fact, the car wasn't carrying any Uber customers at the time, only an Uber operator and an engineer in the front seats, uh, which is normal for these kinds of programs. Nevertheless, Uber temporarily paused all operations of the self-driving car program it was testing in Tempe and also in Pittsburgh. Uh, But just hours ago, on Monday afternoon in the U.S., uh, it put them back into service. So they're now back on the road. Does this tell us anything useful about self-driving cars. I don't know whether it tells us more about people's expectations of them, like they they should suddenly be able to become, uh, uh, you know, invisible or something and be able to uh, completely avoid any accident, no matter who's at fault. That's right. There's always going to be accidents, um, especially when humans are involved in the equation as they are here with that human driver. I mean, in general, we can say that it's it's hard to make a self-driving car, right? We've we've seen that uh, from other operators that have released statistics that human operators have to intervene in self-driving cars quite frequently. Um, so the technology, yes, it's not there yet totally. But on the other hand, a lot of people would argue that this accident is exactly the kind of example of, that shows us why we need self-driving cars because it was a human driver that mm. hit the Uber car. It made a, th- That person made a human error. So if both of these cars have been self-driving cars, maybe they would have been able to avoid each other. Um, you know, that's, that's clearly not the case now, but advocates would argue that this is this will lead to safer roads in the future. But they're not going to be completely immune from accidents ever, I don't think. If you want to hit a solid object, you're going to be able to hit a solid object. That's the basic point here. Exactly. Now, this was not the only piece of bad news, of course, to come out for Uber on Friday. Later that evening, a report surfaced that its CEO and executives visited an escort karaoke bar here in Seoul back in 2014, which connects the career connection there. But the thing is, Mark, we also just had a story before that where the Uber CEO was caught on film berating a driver. So it's really been one series of bad stories after another. It really has bad and, and ugly uh, in, in this particular case. Uh, the website The Information broke this story on Friday that three years ago, a group from Uber, including its CEO and a senior vice president went to a sole escort karaoke bar and one female Uber manager who was with the party filed an HR complaint a year later. 
this story was actually revealed to that website by an ex-girlfriend of Uber CEO Travis Kalanick. Uh, her name is Gabby Holtzworth, and she was also at the party. Uh, she said it made her feel horrible and uh, that she found it really degrading. Yeah, so the frat boy culture that's been exposed at Uber, the conduct of Kalanick himself, numerous allegations of sexual harassment in the workplace as well. How do they respond to this and get back to what they're supposed to be doing? Well, it's hard to say that they have figured out how to do that yet because, in fact, um, in this story, uh, Gabby Holtzworth says that the reason she spoke out is because three weeks ago, that senior vice president, uh, Emil Emil Michael, who was at the bar with them, uh, he called her and told her that if the press ever discovered this story, that he wanted her just to say that they, quote, had a good time and only visited a karaoke bar, not an escort karaoke bar. Um, So the reaction to this story has been fierce in the U.S. Um, You you have a lot of tech writers and journalists openly slamming the Uber executive's conduct on Twitter. Uh, Katie Brenner, a tech reporter for the New York Times, said, the way Uber's top two execs tried to manipulate a young 27-year-old woman to keep her silent made my stomach turn. And Brian Solomon, a reporter for Forbes, tweeted, this story is nuts. Feels like the end for multiple Uber execs, if not Travis himself. Let's take a step back in time, something I'm sure a few of those Uber execs would like to do, but maybe not quite this far. 130 million years. Australian paleontologists have just announced the biggest trove of dinosaur footprints ever found on the continent. You could pretty much camp in them. Yeah, you could certainly lie down on them, which is uh, what I saw in one of the pictures that was released uh, with this study. Uh, Scientists say that they have found prints from 21 different species on the beaches of the Kimberley region in Western Australia. And these include sauropods, big herbivores, carnivores, and also armored dinosaurs like stegosaurus, which is the first time that that species uh, has ever been found on the continent. And uh, the largest print is actually believed to be the biggest footprint ever found. It's 175 centimeters long. It's the biggest dinosaur print ever found. And these tracks are also significant because they're uh, basically the only traces of dinosaurs on the continent from that time period. There are actually very few fossils in Australia in general because of most of the continent is low-lying plains. So if these fossils get exposed, uh, they just erode away. You don't have a lot of you know hillsides where those massive layers of rock are exposed, right? Those geological layers where you can spot fossils, you know, sticking out of the hills. Yes. So the scientists are calling this region of footprints uh, Australia's own Jurassic Park. If only we could go back in time, it, it would probably look exactly like that. But one of the very interesting points about this find is that the researchers didn't find them at all. They were brought to them by the local Aboriginal community who have known about the tracks for thousands of years. That's right. The native community in the area, almost 10 years ago, they approached scientists because they were concerned about a natural gas facility that was being considered uh, to be built on those beaches. And they were worried about the prints, uh, which have actually been part of their oral tradition for thousands of years. They actually have a creation mythology and a song cycle surrounding the prints where a giant figure called the Emu Man, or Morala, made huge three-toed prints in the sand. And of course, today, we know that those are the tracks of meat-eating dinosaurs. Uh, so one, it's pretty, you know, it's pretty amazing that they 
linked these prints to birds thousands of years before Western scientists figured out that dinosaurs were the ancestors of birds. Mm. And two, it's worth pointing out that this happens all over the world where paleontologists rely on indigenous peoples to guide them to fossils and sites that the local communities have either discovered or known about for a very long time. So they're a huge source of scientific knowledge that rarely gets acknowledged. And what else is out there, Mark? It's... I'm dying to know. Well, in your line of work, it's the everlasting question, I guess, that keeps you ticking. Indeed. And speaking of birds, our final story today, a species of New Zealand parrots. Scientists have discovered that they laugh. Not only that, they can make each other laugh. That's right. These uh, birds, the New Zealand Kia parrots, are extremely intelligent and curious, and they're also very social. And so <laughs> scientists have noticed them, uh, not just scientists, but anyone, have, have noticed them playing with each other, sort of play fighting or flying next to each other. And one thing that the researchers noticed when they were classifying its bird calls is that they have a very distinctive call that they make when they play. And so they recorded it, and they went back out into the wild and played it to the birds to see what would happen. And when they did, they actually got more playful. Uh, some of them joined in with other birds that were already playing. Sometimes kias who were just sitting around would hear it and suddenly start playing with each other. And um, if they were alone, even, they would start playing with themselves, just throwing rocks around or uh, performing aerobatics in the air. And so the scientists say that this is a lot like laughter. Uh, of course, it's impossible to really know if the birds have a sense of humor. Yeah. But it's a very similar behavior in that it's a, it's a happy, positive expression. And if you know one person does it, others tend to join in. That's how it is for humans. I, I mean, we sometimes see hyenas laughing, obviously, and they're mm -hmm. a famous uh, example of this. But scientists have pointed out that that laughter is... Um, sometimes excitement, but often frustration, actually. so That's uh, right. There's a danger in anthropomorphizing yeah. too much, right? But in this case, the scientists, and the scientists fully acknowledge that in this case, but they say that they really are kind of going with the laughter analogy because it seems so clearly to be something that they're doing for fun. There seems to be no other purpose for the playing and for the call that they're making except to make each other play. And they're not just copying humans somewhere along the line and That's right. you they're know, not parroting just... along the line. I knew you would say that. So, well, you know, you put it up there on a plate. Um, parrots never cease to amaze. Uh, thank you very much, Mark Zastro. Thank Pleasure you, to Alex. have you in the studio. I, I was going to try to develop some sort of organic laughter and see if we could send soul into a big ripple effect of laughter, but we'll have to work on that for next time because we're just about out of time. Sounds good. Mark Zastro. Well, actually, we'll leave it for Kurt Asian and Career Escape coming up next. But for now, our Science and Technology Roundup with Mark Zastro.